Welcome to Bible study for regular people. It's just regular people studying the Bible. I'm Tana, and let's get started. Today we are reading in Psalm 28. Prayer when surrounded by trouble or wickedness. God is our only real source of safety. Prayer is our best help when trials come our way because it keeps us in communion with God. Psalm 28, verse 1. I pray to you, O Lord, my rock. Do not turn a deaf ear to me, for if you are silent, I might as well give up and die. Listen to my prayer for mercy as I cry out to you for help, as I lift my hands toward your holy sanctuary. Do not drag me away with the wicked, with those who do evil, those who speak friendly words to their neighbors while planning evil in their hearts. Give them the punishment they so richly deserve. Measure it out in proportion to their wickedness. Pay them back for all their evil deeds. Give them a taste of what they have done to others. They care nothing for what the Lord has done or for what his hands have made. So he will tear them down and they will never be rebuilt. Praise the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and shield. I trust him with all my heart. He helps me, and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. The Lord gives his people strength. He is a safe fortress for his anointed king. Save your people. Bless Israel, your special possession. Lead them like a shepherd and carry them in your arms forever. Verse 3, he says about those who do evil, those who speak friendly words to their neighbors while planning evil in their hearts. And that makes me think of people who feign friendship, who talk all sweet and kind and nice to someone's face and then stab them in the back when they're gone. Um... I'd much rather hear a criticism to my face or know know up front what people what people think. And also David in his position as king, I'm sure, met many flatterers who only plotted evil behind his back. But what is really encouraging about this verse and and in most of David's Psalms is how he always comes back to the goodness, justness, and mercy of God, who hears our cries, who is on our side, who fights for us, who defends us. Very important to remember that all the time. We are continuing today in Proverbs chapter 10, starting in verse 12. Hatred stirs up quarrels, but love makes up for all offenses. You know, however, I do feel like sometimes it's the people we love the most that we are the rudest to because we know that they'll forgive us, right? And love does make up for all offenses that way, but then we take advantage of it. Verse 13, 
Wise words come from the lips of people with understanding, but those lacking sense will be beaten with a rod. <laughs> no words on that. Verse 14. Wise people treasure knowledge, but the babbling of a fool invites disaster. Man, isn't that the truth? I feel like I have seen so much babbling of fools all over the internet lately. And it does invite disaster, unfortunately. One of those disasters being the spread of the coronavirus. Verse 15. The wealth of the rich is their fortress. The poverty of the poor is their destruction. Interesting. There's a lot about finances in the book of Proverbs. This one isn't isn't about managing finances in any way, but just about how the different social classes uh, are affected by their uh, by their financial status. The wealth of the rich is their fortress. The poverty of the poor is their destruction. And I think even more could be said as well. The wealth of the rich is also their chains, right? The more you have, the more worried about losing it you are. And the poverty of the poor is their destruction, um, among other things as well. Some might say it's it's freedom, but it's also... Um, it's also in a way changed because it's harder to get health care, it's harder to get housing, it's harder to get, you know, just basic necessities. Verse 16, the earnings of the godly enhance their lives, but evil people squander their money on sin. Man, that's the truth. Hardworking, godly people who use their earnings to take care of their families, take care of their church, help other people, all of that enhances their lives. But people who just earn money for themselves and squander it all on meaningless, petty things, it doesn't actually bring happiness. Money is one of those things, up to a certain point, it can bring happiness in the sense of relieving financial stress. It's not really adding happiness, it's just removing a stressor. Beyond that, it only adds happiness really when you're spending it on other people. 17. People who accept discipline are on the pathway to life, but those who ignore correction will go astray. Amen. Enough said. Verse 18. Hiding hatred makes you a liar. Slandering others makes you a fool. Ooh. That's interesting. I feel like this one has not really stood out to me before. Hiding hatred makes you a liar? Hmm. Hiding hatred makes you a liar. And doesn't Jesus say, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry? That lines up beautifully, doesn't it? And slandering others makes you a fool. Well, no argument there. I suppose the moral is, when you're angry about something, you need to talk that, just, that junk out. Don't be holding that in and don't be faking it right? So many people are mad about something and someone says, what's wrong? Nothing. I'm fine. 
I'm fine. Leave me alone. It's okay. Really? Yeah, they did just lie about it, didn't they? And slandering others makes you a fool. Absolutely it does. There's no sense in putting other people down just to make yourself feel better. That's stupid. Verse 19. Too much talk leads to sin, but... I'm sorry, too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. <laughs> too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. You know, I need to hear that one sometimes. It's so easy to listen with the mindset of what am I going to say next? How am I going to respond to this person? When really what we need to do is just listen with our mouth shut and listen with our brain on the perspective of, let me just hear what they're trying to say. Don't be so preoccupied about what you're going to say next, but instead just say nothing if that's what's needed. But you're not going to know that unless you're listening to what they're really trying to say to you. 20. The words of the godly are like still sterling silver. The heart of a fool is worthless. Ooh. The words of the godly are like sterling silver. The heart of a fool is worthless. Ouch. Wow. Solomon uh, doesn't hold back, does he? Verse 21. The words of the godly encourage many, but fools are destroyed by their lack of common sense. So here we've got the words of the godly are like sterling silver and encourage many, but the heart of a fool is worthless and fools are destroyed by their lack of common sense. I feel like common sense is actually rather rare these days, right? So many people are doing what feels good at the time instead of using common sense to think through whether it's actually something that should be done or not. And then often people speak impulsively rather than thinking about it first. I know that's my big problem. I stick my foot in my mouth so much. Or things don't come out the way they they sounded in my head. <laughs> they sounded in my head great. They don't come out that way. But then you can't take it back, can you? In the New Testament, we are in Acts chapter 4. Refresh on what's happened up to this point. Jesus has died, risen, and ascended. The apostles have waited for the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit did come on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 believers from various countries or 3,000 people from various countries all became believers. And then Peter and John have healed a man who was crippled, who was sitting at the temple gates. And so they've just healed that man in the last reading, and that's where we're picking up. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. 
So just a reminder, the difference between uh, the Sadducees and the others, the Pharisees, the Sadducees didn't believe that there was a resurrection. And so they're not happy that that is what Peter and John are teaching. Verse 3, they arrested them and, since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of believers now totaled about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. So the message is getting even further, which is just hilarious considering that the Pharisees killed Jesus trying to stifle all of this. And, of course, now there's 5,000 of them. Verse 5. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Anas, the high priest, which you might remember him from Jesus' trials, was there along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, By what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, The stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And that is a quote from Psalm 118 verse 22. Verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. But since they could see the men who had been healed, since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. What should we do with these men? They asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign. And everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. <laughs> we all know how well that's going to work out. Verse 18. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, 
Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, I love it. They're told directly to stop preaching. So what do they do? They go back and they pray for the boldness to keep preaching even more. Love it. Verse 31. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Bam. Prayer answered. Verse 32. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. One thing I love about that last part we've just read is, you know, all of these believers, there's 5,000 of them, right? So they come from all different um walks of life they're just normal people so there's different people in uh, a variety of of social classes and so the higher class or upper class or the wealthier among them took it upon themselves to take care of uh, all the believers okay now i'm going to back up and share with you some footnotes so this is a footnote on acts uh, four verse Six Verse 6 says, Anas, the high priest, was there, along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. Uh, so this is about who these people are. Anas had been deposed as high priest by the Romans, who then had appointed Caiaphas, his son-in-law, in his place. Because the Jews considered the office of high priest a lifetime position, they still called Anas by that title and gave him respect and authority within the high council. Anas and Caiaphas had played significant roles in Jesus' trial. You might remember that. They were not pleased that the man they thought they had sacrificed for the good of the nation had followers who were just as persistent and promised to be just as troublesome as he had been. Now this footnote I love. This is on verse 12. Verse 12 says, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. This is Peter and John's response uh, to the Sadducees when they asked him by what power they'd healed the man and they answered the Holy Spirit and ended with that. The footnote reads, many people react negatively to the fact that there is no other name than that of Jesus to call on for salvation. 
Yet, this is not something the church decided. It is the specific teaching of Jesus himself, and it references John chapter 14, verse 6. If God designated Jesus to be the Savior of the world, no one else can be his equal. Christians are to be open-minded on many issues, but not on how we are saved from sin. No other religious teacher could die for our sins. No other religious teacher came to earth as God's only son. No other religious teacher rose from the dead. Our focus should be on Jesus, whom God provided is the way to have an eternal relationship with himself. There is no other name or way. I love that. I'll never forget this little comic cartoon I saw once, and this Bible class teacher was standing in front of the room at at her chalkboard and all the little Bible class students were in their chairs and she had this kind of like it looked like a family tree but from left to right across the board and it started with Jesus on the left and that kept branching and branching and branching as it went across the board and branching and branching and branching and finally in a tiny little circle way over on the right side of the board there had this thing circled and it said and here is our religion where we finally got things right and I just busted out laughing when I saw that little cartoon because I thought that was hilarious. And I love that this um, this footnote, who whoever the particular author is that penned that, you know, mentions we need to be open-minded about a lot of things, right? The Bible doesn't contain everything we wished that it did contain, but it contains what we need. And the main one of, one of the main things we can't argue on is who Jesus was. He was the son of God. He is the only one who died for our sins. Yeah, there's a whole lot of other religious leaders out there that have done either wonderful, amazing things or terrible, horrible things. Jesus is the one we need to be following. He needs to be our foundation. One of these footnotes has pointed out that when Peter and Paul were released and went back to the believers and told them what had happened, when they prayed, they didn't pray to God to remove the problem. They prayed to God to help them to face the problem. That's really something, isn't it? There's a lot of good footnotes on this section, so I'm sorry if I'm sharing too much for you. Just fast forward or hit the end, but... Uh, this one said, uh, when they asked for boldness, it says boldness is not reckless impulsiveness. And I feel like I have known so many people that valued boldness, but what they were really valuing was reckless impulsiveness. What it says boldness really is Boldness requires courage to press on through our fears and do what we know is right. That's boldness. Not just being the squeaky wheel or the person who can shout the loudest for defending whatever it is how you see things should be. But the courage to press on through our fears and do what we know is right. It's not being loud at obnoxious people. Okay, last thing I'm going to read, I promise, and then we're done. 
Uh, this is about the last section, which is uh, verse 32 to 37, which talks about them sharing everything. It says, The early church was able to share possessions and property as a result of the unity brought by the Holy Spirit working and through the believers' lives. This way of living is different from communism because, one, the sharing was voluntary. Two, it didn't involve all private property, but only as much as, as was needed. Three, it was not a membership requirement in order to be part of the church. The spiritual unity and generosity of these early believers attracted others to them. This organizational structure is not a biblical command, but it offers vital principles for us to follow. I thought that was nice that they pointed it out. Yeah, this is not communism going on here. This is just people taking care of each other because they feel like they're part of a family. Um, and how they organized themselves to do that worked for them. But it's not necessary. It's just how, how they did it at the time. Uh, it gives us good principles, but we shouldn't be tied to... Um, this is a, as some sort of a biblical command. I thought that was interesting. To close this out, I just kind of wanted to recap. We read Psalm 28 and noticed that when David prays to the Lord, he knows he's there. He knows he is there to help. And now that I've read uh, our New Testament portion, um, I also note that David prays, you know, that the Lord will be with him to be, to help him. He says, he helps me and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. The Lord gives his people strength. And isn't that also what they were just praying for when they asked for boldness? And then in Proverbs we read a lot about how people should speak and handle their words and also a little bit about money. And then in Acts 4, we read about how Peter and John handled their words and how the believers handled their money. Na -na -na. <laughs>